So uh, what we're going to be looking at specifically is, yeah, New Testament design for the church and the specific roles in the church. So again, it could be differences of expression, but there are definitely roles that God has uh, made clear in the New Testament that we want to understand together this morning for the explicit purpose of each of us being able to do our job, our part, play our part in what God is doing in our midst. So four specific roles. One would be what we call apostolic team. Let me clarify real quick. Apostolic team, you're not going to find that by name anywhere in the New Testament. So you can go ahead and exhale. It's, that's okay. You are going to find the idea of apostolic team in the New Testament. Secondly would be elders. Thirdly, deacons. And fourthly, saints. Apostolic team, their, their job, we'll get into several things, but mainly it is for the sake of equipping. Equipping us to do works. The elders are to lead specifically the local church. Elders only have authority within a local church to lead, responsibility. And, and by the way, you only have authority where you have responsibility. Uh, so elders lead, deacons serve, saints do the works of Jesus. So if I could just say and be... Uh, blunt with you and somewhat vulnerable, I've had the privilege of being planted by God in a few different churches during my development through the years. And early on, two of those took place in America. Uh, of course, later we were sent to South Africa where we began partnering with NCMI. That's another story. But in America, I would say that a couple of the churches that we kind of were planted in either did not have a biblical model that we're going to get into just now, or they may have had a biblical model, but perhaps lacked the heart and the mindset behind why have a biblical model. How many of you know having a biblical model doesn't help anything if you're not doing the stuff that the biblical model is there for? And so you can have all the doctrine and all the stuff right, but if you don't have the heart, which is ultimately the mission of God, the commission that he's given his church. That is why we have a model. That's why we have banks, as Minda said, to our river. If, as long, if we are pursuing that, then we need to have a biblical model. Why? Because when God gave Noah an ark to build, if you've ever read in Genesis chapter 7, there were, in 6, I think, there were specific instructions on how he was to build that ark. Go for wood, and the length was to be this, and the width this, and so on and so forth. When God gave Moses instructions concerning the tent of Moses, the tent of meeting, there were very specific instructions on how that was to be built. When God gave uh, the temple to be built in the city of Jerusalem, specific directions. How do we think in the New Testament that God doesn't have design, pattern, and order for the church? And it's so simple. It is literally apostolic team, at a translocal level, and at the local level, elders, deacons, saints. So I have seen, and we are not this morning preaching the gospel of New Covenant Ministries International. That's the apostolic team that this church partners with. We are preaching Jesus. We are preaching his truth, right? By the grace of God, when we moved to South Africa and started partnering with NCMI, that's New Covenant Ministries International, we found a church that not only had this model, but also had the heart, the apostolic mission, heart of God to, re to make disciples of all nations. And I'm, again, I'm not trying to 
if our faith is in NCMI, we're goners. But at the same time, I would be amiss to, to say we're a part of something I believe that God has given grace to the company that we partner with. Where there is an understanding of the model and a, and a given to the mission in such a way that keeps the church in a healthy and safe place. And if I can be honest with you, I have been in church where it became the norm that at some point leaders are going to have moral failure. That became the norm. It's almost like you expect it. And over 14 years of partnering with NCMI, again, I'm not trying to say NCMI is the thing. It's the biblical model. I can count on one hand, literally, amongst our global partnerships of moral failings that I actually know of. Is this a guarantee that there will be no moral failures? No. But it sure does help to walk according to the design of God. So why are we looking at this this morning? Because I want all of us to walk in unity as a, as a company and to understand what it is that God has designed for us and what it is that we're a part of in the big picture. So if you would turn with me to Philippians chapter 1, again, um, New Testament church roles, you're going to see in that very first verse, Philippians chapter 1, verse 1, all four of what I just, the roles that I just mentioned, uh, demonstrated. And I'll go ahead and start reading. Paul and Timothy. Paul and Timothy. Now let's pause right there. That's apostolic team. Paul and Timothy. Paul planted this church in Philippi, but he was not planted in this church. This was not his home church. This is not where he based. So here's Paul talking to a local church called the the Philippians in the city of Philippi. And what is his role? If he's not a part of this church, then what's his role? His role is what we call apostolic team, which is every church, just like every believer, needs to be partnered with something bigger than themselves called the local church to to connect our lives into a bigger context. Every local church needs to be partnered with and connected to something bigger than itself. An apostolic team in the New Testament is how you see that. So Paul and Timothy are functioning as apostolic team doing their role in sending this letter. hope that makes sense. Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints. That's everyone. In Christ Jesus, who are in Philippi, with the bishops... Now, we're going to get to this later, but that term, and I hope I I don't make you stumble here because it made me stumble the first time I heard this said, but now I fully agree with it. Bishops are, the term bishop is used interchangeably with elder every time in the New Testament. Yes, with the bishops and deacons. So right there, you've got apostolic team, saints, elders, and deacons. Now, let's dive into this uh, starting with saints. Saints. What do saints do? Saints do the works of Jesus. Who are the saints? Every born-again believer in Jesus. The church, when the New Testament talks about the church, it is not talking about everybody who considers themselves a member of the church. Do you know why? You can be in a church and never having been born again. You become part of the global, eternal, capital C church that Jesus is building by having an encounter where you place your faith and your life in him and repent of your sins. 
and become born again. By doing that and only by doing that do you become part of the church. Local church, lowercase c, is made up of born again believers. So if you're not born again this morning, I've got good news for you. You can do that today. So it's not like you're excluded. I just want to make it clear, who do we mean when we say saints? It is born again believers. And what do they do? They do the works of Jesus. If you actually heard what I just said, that would make saints the, the most important part of the church. It's not the apostolic team. It's not the elders. It's not the deacons. Saints are the most important. Can I make another comment? Apostolic team are saints themselves. Deacons are saints. Elders are saints. We all are saints. And all of us need to be equipped, every single one of us, to do the works of Jesus. The purpose of Jesus for his church is accomplished by the saints. You can turn with me to flip, uh, Ephesians chapter 4. It says that uh, Jesus ascended into heaven and he gave gifts. When he ascended into heaven... He left a church in the earth, and that church needed to continue its ministry, and for the, the saints who make up that church to do what they're called to do, they need to be equipped by the same ministry gifts that Jesus himself has. And it says he ascends into heaven, and he gives gifts to men, some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, some as pastors and teachers. That's apostolic team. We're going to talk about that in a, in a minute. Why are they given? For the equipping of the saints to do the work of the ministry. Who does the work of the ministry? The saints. So a, a, every single believer should become prophetic. What does that mean? That we, we are skilled in hearing the voice of God and being able to declare what God is saying. How do we do that? Prophets. Now, some of you may have heard prophets and what you have in your mind is not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about humble servants who are not puffed up and walking around like they're God's gift. To, I'm talking about people who, who are genuinely anointed of the Holy Spirit and are planted and submitted and accountable in a local church. They equip the saints to become prophetic. Do the church, does the church need to live on mission? And to understand the mission and have the heart of mission? In come the apostles. The sent ones, and they equip the church to become apostolic. Does the church need to know how to love and care for the other people in the church? In come the pastors, and they equip the church to become pastoral. Do you see what I'm saying? Who does the works of the ministry? The saints, having been equipped. That's Ephesians chapter 4.11. Uh, but listen to this. Having been equipped, how do they do the work of the ministry? I would say two specific things. Sharing truth. Sharing, speaking truth, and operating in the God-given gift that is inside of you. Every single born-again believer in this room this morning has a God-given grace that is unique to your life that is inside of you. And there's something about the true functioning of, ap of uh, uh, apostolic team, of five, uh, <laughs> I don't want to throw too many terms around, the apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher that I just mentioned. There's something when, when they come into town, so to speak, that it stirs and it ignites the gift inside of you. It unlocks it. If you're open. If you're hungry. So it's the operation of your gift 
that causes you to do the works of Jesus. If you'll read further with me in Ephesians 4. For the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up or edifying of the body of Christ, until we all come to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man. This is our goal, folks, of what we're trying to shoot for. To the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. Listen to this. But speaking the truth in love. Who are we talking about here? Saints. The saints. When the saints, when you and I speak the truth in love, right? It's not just speaking truth. You can do damage by speaking truth. But speaking the truth in love to one another, what happens? may grow up in all things into him who is the head. When you and I have revelatory knowledge of Jesus, and through relationship, through community group, through our interactions with one another, are able to impart the truth that we have, it helps others to grow. And as we're all doing that, we grow up into him who is the head. But then it goes on to say, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies according to the effective working of, by which every part, say every part. Are you a part? If you're born again, you are. By what every part does its share causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. The saints do the works of Jesus and they do it by speaking the truth that we have to one another in love and by operating in the divine grace gift that is inside of you. Let's go on to elders. What do elders do? Elders lead. So in this case, in this local church, as of today, Rodney and I, together with our wives, make up the eldership team of Border, Border City Church. What do elders do? Elders lead. So let's just look into this a little bit. We're going to look at Acts chapter 20 mainly. Um, verse 28, but also quickly look at Acts chapter 14, verse 23. I want to say this. When you have a group of disciples, and, uh, excuse me a second. When, you know, you, you, when you have a group of disciples, that does not mean that you have a local church. You hear the expression that sometimes people will say, where two or three are gathered, there I am in your midst, so there's church. And we are the church, and so why do we even need local church? We're, we are the church. And in a sense, that's true. We are all the church, right? We don't go to church. When Mickey goes to his apartment later today, he is the church at the apartment. When you go home, you are the church. When you're in your car, you are the church. We are the church. However, there is without a doubt, if you are objectively honest looking at the New Testament, another thing that makes up the big KC church called local church. Churches. And what makes a church... What makes a group of disciples become not just a group of disciples, but a church? Elders. Once there is God-ordained human leadership. Yes, Jesus is the head, but he is ordained to lead his local flock through elders. Now, some of us in this room, when we hear the term elders, we may think of the business people in the church who are kind of financially astute and make a bunch of practical decisions. You may have a whole lot of ideas of what the church is. I mean, what elders are. I want to look at what elders, according to the scripture, are. In many cases, elders are simply the pastoral leaders of the church to shepherd the church. 
In Acts chapter 14, verse 23, Paul is in the mission of planting churches. There's groups of disciples in each of these cities that he's going to. He's discipling them. What is it that makes him able to release that group of disciples and to go on to the next city and release that church, that local group of disciples to now be an autonomous church? What is it? It's elders. Check this out. Acts chapter 14, verse 23 says, When they had appointed elders in every church and prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord in whom they had believed. They commended them to the Lord is what I want to point out. Commended. That word commended means to be able to uh, release, to be able to, um, at least essentially it means to be able to release into autonomy. So I want you to understand, it's, it's, it's almost like Peter is 18 now. He's, he, we've been raising him, we've been training him, but he still needs us, right? He's still in our home. There's going to come a point where we release Peter because it's time for him now to be autonomous, to be his own independent adult. Paul the Apostle had the same thing. When he was planting churches, he didn't just plant churches, preach the gospel, get a bunch of group together, and then leave them. There had to be something in place for him to be able to commend them to the Lord, release them to the Lord. You're on your own now. It's elders. When when elders were appointed, so from within the flock, God will raise up those who are called to pastor the flock. Can I get you to agree? That is a fearful role to be in. We're talking about God's children. When you, as an elder, are a saint as well, have a sin nature, are fallible, and here you are leading God's children into what God has planned for the church. Elders better be humble. Elders themselves better be accountable to keep the flock in a safe place. In our ranks, ain't nobody going to be ordained as an elder if they're not already accountable and submitted to local church leaders. You do that right there. And you will save so much of the mess in church. Because there are so many people, especially in non-denominational churches, who are self-appointed. I'm a bishop. I'm an apostle. I'm an apostolic bishop pastor, whatever thing. And titles and all this crazy stuff. Well, who says that you're that? Well, God said to me that I am that. Okay, great. And who in your life that you're accountable has witnessed to this? Well, I don't need to be accountable. Okay, well, don't join that church. Everybody in leadership it needs to be planted. Every believer needs to be planted in a local church, following local church elders, accountable in order to rise up in what God has given you to do in the church. So, uh, elders, they do that. What do elders do? They tend to the flock, they oversee, and they lead. If you'll turn with me quickly to Acts chapter 20, and I believe that this verse, verse 28, shows more of the functionality of eldership than any other verse in the New Testament. So we're going to read that. It says, starting in verse 17, from Miletus, he, Paul, sent to Ephesus and called for the elders of the church. Who are we talking to here? The elders of the church. Keep that in mind. If you, so we're talking to the elders of the church. We're going to skip a bunch of verses that we don't need to look at, but go down to verse 28. This is Paul talking to elders in the church. Am I right? Verse 17 clearly said that, right? Talking to who? Elders. elders. Good. 
Verse 28, therefore, take heed to yourselves. That's the first role of an elder. Why is that important? Take heed to yourself. I thought the elder was leading the flock. Yeah. The first thing that an elder does is they have to be looking at themselves to say, am I following what God is saying? Am I responding to, by faith to Jesus? Why? Because elders, in, in, in the will of God, elders can only lead the flock as to wherever they've allowed Jesus to lead them. So first thing with elders is take heed to yourselves. There is a um, different types of, I'm going to be really, really broad here, but there are different leadership models in church. And again, I don't want to act as though I've got it all together and have all knowledge and wisdom, but by the grace of God, I do believe we have some understanding of biblical pattern and design for the church. Let me just say, if you look at church design like a triangle, you've got one model that looks at church leadership like a triangle, a hierarchical structure. You've got your elders or whoever at the top, usually your senior pastor, with a pastoral team around them. And really what that is, is the pastoral team are all hired by the senior pastor, meaning that their paycheck is dependent on the senior pastor, meaning that they're afraid of the senior pastor, meaning that there ain't nobody in the local church who's going to hold them accountable. So, so you've got this hierarchical structure and all the people down here, the less important people, do what the pastor says needs to be done. Then you've got an inversion of that, an upside down triangle, where you've got a, a boards and committees and all this stuff and the people vote and they, do this and they determine what the elders or the pastor should do. Well, that's equally unbiblical. <laughs> it's not going to lead towards the promised land God has for us. I would say we need to take this triangle and turn it on its side, or even like this, where elders are on the platitude plane with everybody else. They're just leading out in front. They have a responsibility to be the first ones to go and to help the sheep, which we all are, to get where God is taking us. That's the heartbeat of leadership, eldership in particular. So take heed to yourselves, Paul says to the elders. But he also says, take heed to yourselves, plural. Meaning that in the local church, there should be, by God's highest design, a multiplicity of elders in a church. Why is that important? So that elders who are saints, who are sheep themselves, and every sheep, every saint needs to be accountable and following the elders. The elders themselves need to be following the elders. Meaning that, practically speaking, I need to be accountable to this man. There, if I, I should not make major decisions in, in, in my life without running it by somebody else. We shouldn't be making major financial decisions, ma major ministry decisions, all that without agreement. That's a safe place. We good? When I was in a, a church back in Dublin, Georgia, we knew, and we were on the pastoral team of that church, we knew we were there to be sent. We knew. Everybody there on the eldership team, knew that we were there not for long term, but to be sent out. We didn't know it was going to be South Africa, but eventually became that. During that time, just because of the desire in our heart, there were two different occasions. Once where Minda felt like God was opening a door to, to leave and go to this other thing in ministry, and another time where I felt like God was leading us to go to this other thing in ministry. Both times we went to the elders of the church, and, of which we were a part, and shared it, and there just wasn't agreement. 
And you know what we did? We submitted. Because we were not going to move out in ministry in the name of God, declaring that God has sent us without, some, without the leaders that we were called to be partnered with affirming that and witnessing with it. There came a time, my friends, where we were on a trip to South Africa. God so clearly spoke to my heart through Isaiah 61 about us moving to South Africa. We went back. I communicated it, submitted it to them. There was bona fide, true blue agreement and that church sent us in unity and in faith. And when we, when our feet touched the ground in January 2009, moving our family to South Africa, there was blessing from heaven. My point being is that this thing of being accountable, being submitted, not just, yes, elders firstly, but everybody should be, you know, everybody needs to be accountable somewhere and submitted. It is for our own good. So elders are to take heed of themselves and themselves. If I have a concern about Rodney, I need to be the one to say something. Not that, you know, it, it, well, let's say, rather say the other way. If Rodney has a concern, it is on him as an elder in the church and him specifically to, be, to, to come to me and to, to voice that thing. And he has got place to do that. And then well, we're also going to get an apostolic team because we together as a team also need to be inviting input from something beyond ourselves. So that's a, we'll get there. Take heed to yourselves. Are you okay? And to all the flock. So before the elder even is trying to lead the flock, they're first looking at themselves. But there is a dimension of the, of the elder needs to take heed, which means to pay attention, look at, notice what's going on, and take responsibility for it. To the flock. How many of you are parents in here or have ever raised a child before? You're about to you totally witness with what I'm saying. When you have kids, it, you suddenly are not just responsible for your own self and your own behavior and your own decisions. Your children, you are now responsible for. And they have behavior. And they are making decisions. And ain't nobody else going to take responsibility. You as the parent need to do that. In order to understand God's design of leadership for the church, you have to think of the church as a family. This is not just an organization. This is a family on a mission. We're not just family, and we're not just mission. We're family on mission. Elders have to look at the, at the flock in the same way a parent would look at their children and, and, and look at it and know what, what's not going right here, what is going right, what things need to be lifted up, what things need to be readjusted and redirected. That's on elders to do. Pay attention. Take heed to the flock. Listen to this next line. Among, I love that, and the, that's a proper translation of that word. Some of your translations may say in or over. It's actually among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Elders are among the flock. They're not on top of. They're among the flock. But God has made them episkopos is the Greek word. Overseer. And, uh, and that is the word translated as bishop elsewhere in the New Testament. So if elder is not interchangeable with bishop, because we're clearly, this is Paul talking to elders, he just said to a group of elders, the Holy Spirit has made you bishops. So either bishop is, either this group of elders were all promoted to bishop, or bishop is actually just another term representing another aspect of the same function. And what is that function? To oversee, which means you're kind of taking a visionary perspective of where is God taking us 
and helping to lead the church into that place, firstly by going there yourselves. Among, among which the Holy Spirit. This isn't you making yourself an overseer. This isn't even man making you an overseer. This is the Holy Spirit. You are charged and empowered by the Holy Spirit to oversee the flock. Why? To shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. Shepherd the church. Which, which if you think of a shepherd, it's someone's in a ditch. The elders need to go kind of pull them out with their rod and their staff. This person's kind of got sickness or, you know, kind of we got to get the, the stuff out of their, their fur and, and tend to them. This big group of people, all the sheep, we need to be calling them and corralling them because pasture is over here. This is where we need to be. Shepherd the flock. That's what we are account. That's what God, through apostolic team, have appointed us to do here. So that's talking about elders. If you want to know about the requirements of an elder, you can find that in 1 Timothy 3, 1 through 7. Let's go on to deacons. Um, deacons serve. Now, in this church, as of today, right in this very second, we have one who has been set in. His name is Mickey. He's sitting over there. Everybody in the church loves him. He has been set in as a deacon a few years ago. I'm just going to be quick with this, but if you want to turn with me to Acts chapter 6, we're going to look at the first installation of deacons in a local church ever because it illustrates so well what the spirit of being a deacon is all about, which is serving. Let me make this very clear. If you are on an apostolic team, you are a servant. If you are an elder, you are a servant. If you're a saint, you are a servant. Uh, deacon simply means this is an office that is specific to doing this. Serving God by taking weight off of leaders so that they can be freed to do their part and that specific expression of serving is almost usually, almost always, some kind of way of serving the people in the church. So it's serving God by taking weight off of the leaders so that they can be free to do their part and that the needs of the people are served. There is a leadership dynamic to this. So uh, let's read Acts chapter 6 to see the story. Now it says in verse 1, Now in those days, this is the first local church ever in the city of Jerusalem, when the number of disciples was multiplying, there arose a complaint against the Hebrews by the Hellenists, or the, 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 Greek, the Greek women, because their widows were neglected in the daily distribution. Then the twelve, speaking of the twelve apostles who were functioning as elders in that church at that time, summoned the multitude of the disciples and said, it is not desirable, and let me classify or qualify this term, desirable is not the, that's New King James, uh, the original Greek word would mean reasonable, fit, or appropriate. It is not appropriate that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. What were the apostles or the early church elders needing to do? Focus on the word of God. It's not that they're above serving tables. You follow what I'm saying? It's just that their, their commission is to do one thing, and this other thing that is not part of their commission would take the time that they need to be giving to what they need to be doing. And so what's the solution? Therefore, brothers, seek out from among you seven men of, number one, reputation, Here's some qualifications for deacons. Reputation, full of the Holy Spirit. Isn't that interesting? 
Serving tables requires being filled with the Holy Spirit. It's because what God is building is not just man-made. Full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business, which would speak of practical uh, reliability. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Are you seeing how the different roles set in place so that each one's doing their part? And the saying pleased the whole multitude, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith, and the Holy Spirit, and Philip, Procurus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch, whom they set before the apostles, and when they had prayed, they laid hands on them. Ultimately, setting in the deacons was for, guess what? It was for the mission taking place. If you go to the very next verse, here's the result of what, it, what setting in those deacons resulted in. Then the word of God spread, and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests were obedient to the faith. Um, this morning we're going to add four more individuals onto the deacon team who, in essence, are already and have for a long time already been fully functioning as deacons, which is what you want. You want to appoint el people into eldership who are already manifesting the signs of being an elder, and same with deacons. And so let's go on to apostolic team. And this is where we're going to wrap it up, and then we'll set some deacons in, and then I'm going to make the announcement that I said. So apostolic team in this church, apostolic team that we partner with is called New Covenant Ministries International. It is a team. There, it, it's a team. That's what it is. Human beings, it's a team. There's no uh, uh, administrative headquarters <laughs> anywhere in the world. It is a team of five-fold gifts that we read of in Ephesians 4 that partnered together to, to help churches fulfill the Great Commission globally. Made up of apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Minda and I have the privilege of all, not just partnering with that team, but also serving on the team. As, does, as do Rodney and Nita. So let's look at apostolic team, shall we? And then we'll be done. You good? You hanging in there? You're doing good. Firstly, I just want to mention Paul. If you study throughout the book of Acts, as he's planting churches, he, there comes, he's planting and then he's commending these churches to the Lord. He's releasing them to be autonomous churches. The thing is, Every believer needs to be planted in a church to be a part of something bigger than itself. And every church needs to be a part of something bigger than its, a part of something bigger than itself, or else we get off course. So there, there comes a need for every church to be partnered with something bigger than itself. Well, we've had denominational structures that have tried to fill that need. And I'm not against denominations. I'm just saying oftentimes denominations tend to be almost like a business structure where there's a hierarchical thing and it's non-relational and they're just barking orders as opposed to people who are bought in to connecting relationship with the local church. That is the beauty of the apostolic team we're a part of. You guys know Stephen Deborah Sudworth from Chicago who have come here. You know most of you, Tyron Daniel, who leads the global team and comes every other year, uh, which is so amazing. Uh, and he'll be here this year. You know uh, Terry Kruger, who's on the apostolic team. You know Anton and Ange Cater. Uh, remember them coming through? They partner with the NCMI team. You know these people. They spend time with us. 
And so as you see in the scripture, as Paul's planting these churches, all of a sudden you start seeing Paul send Tychicus over there, Epaphroditus over there. He sends Titus over to Crete. He sends Timothy over to Ephesus. Who are these people? There appears to be a team. Would you agree? I could go on and on. More and more names that we could mention. Priscilla and Aquila. All these people that are connected to Paul are being sent. And they're, what are they doing? They're going around equipping the churches. Apostolic team. So in this church, what we believe in partnership, and let me say this, what I'm talking about right now is not Paul, my, my thing. We are connected with a global um, partnership of probably about four or 500 people on this team around the globe, all of whom would preach the exact same thing I'm, and live in the same thing I'm telling you about. Thousands of churches around the world that are partnered with this team, all of which are practicing this, and beyond NCMI, other apostolic teams who are all practicing this. So this is not like Paul's thing. I, in the grace of God, I believe this is the Bible thing. In this church, what we believe is for relationship to be authentic, we don't just partner with a team. There needs to be, at any given point, two to three people, members of that team that we as an eldership primarily invite input and accountability and input you know, into our church. The past couple of years, we've had two main, and that have been Steve and Deborah Sudworth from Chicago and Tyron Daniel from Denver, who leads the global team. That's, they've been most involved with the major decisions. We've, we've always run all major decisions and input and finances and all that stuff by those uh, people in particular. That's, so practically, they're, they're, for it to be real, you, there's only so many people who can visit you and be on the ground and really know you. And so that's, but that may change in terms of who that is, and that's fine. Right now, that's, that's who it's been. And then we have other people who, that we also invite in in addition to that to get input, like Terry Kruger, Jody Ramiro will be coming, Leo and Christine Nicotra from Australia will be here this year. Who knows, maybe one of them will become primary in the future. We, we, you have to hold these things lightly. But there has to be, at any given point, two to three who are walking a close journey with us. And when they come, I'm just wanting to tell you what it looks like behind, behind the veil. <laughs> when they come, uh, usually we prefer that they stay in our house. Why? I want them to stay a few days and to see what my marriage really looks like. I want them to see what my kids really act like. <laughs> just the apostolic team, not you people, though. <laughs> just kidding. I want... I want, I want them to, I want there to be ample time for me to be able to ask all the questions of things that I'm wondering about and, and for them to speak in. And then I want them to spend, they always are going to have a time with the elders and usually a time with the core leaders. Why? I want you to know them. And I want, I want their because they, for them to give input, they don't just need to know my perspective. They need to hear the thinking of the others in the church. You follow what I'm saying? And you need to know them. You need to have a relationship with them. This is a relationship. And, so they're, and, and then they come in on a Sunday and they preach. Now, if you're not in the kind of middle of this, you think that we just have guest preachers. So far from the truth. Preaching is incredibly important. The most important role that they have is to come be with us, know us, and speak into our lives. That's real ministry. Preaching, not to minimize preaching. And so, um, 
yeah, that's, we'll just end that there. Uh, the, uh, what, what does the apostolic team do? Just real quick, and then we'll be done. One is thing is, is that they equip. And just re- rehearsing that scripture that we looked at at the very beginning, Ephesians 4, he gave some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints. Who are the saints? For the work of the ministry. Who does the work of the ministry? So it's not just the ordained pastor. It's the saints. Ordained pastor, yes, he does the work of the ministry too, but it's to lead the flock into all of us discovering who we are called to be and functioning in the grace God's given us. We all do the works of Jesus. Until we have that in our thinking, we'll never do church properly. If you're just sitting listening to a message and good message, pastor, or whatever, that you are a son of God and a daughter of God with an inheritance and a function. So that's the heart of the apostolic team. They come to equip. Secondly, and this is not an exhaustive list, but these are some important ones, apostolic team ordain elders. Every time in the New Testament, elders ordained, it's always by someone from the outside, from the team, who are not wrapped up in local church politics, who don't have a dog in the fight, who have an objective lens, and they can verify this person is actually ready and called by God to be a leader of this flock. Acts chapter 14, uh, Acts chapter 14 uh, 23, and Titus 1, 5 are the two specific places in the New Testament, only places you see elders being ordained, always by apostolic team. So important. Why? Safety of the flock. I felt called by God to plant a church in Detroit. And obviously we ran that by some of those that we connect with on the NCMI team, and there was agreement. But I'm not standing here this morning on my authority because I felt called by God to plant this church. There was a time in January 2017 where Tyron Daniel came in, and he laid hands on me and Minda. And it's the authorization of heaven verified by somebody that you have relationship with, that you're accountable to, who knows you, and they set you in. So elders, or I mean, excuse me, apostolic team always ordain elders. Another thing, so they equip, they ordain elders. Thirdly, they provide outside input and accountability to local church elders. So that scripture in Acts 20 that we looked at earlier, that's Paul talking to the elders in Ephesus, telling them what they need to do. So that's outside input. We all need that. All of us need to be accountable to elders in our own church, and those same elders need to be accountable one to another and to an apostolic team that are giving them input from the outside. And then uh, fourthly, apostolic team, I just want to point this out, is invited authority. So the king, authority in the kingdom of God always operates by invitation. Did you know that Jesus, though he has been set by God himself in the highest place with a name that is above every name, king of all kings, lord of all lords, having been given all authority in heaven and earth, he never takes authority over you. He never makes you and forces you to do his will. It is always by your recognition of who he is and bowing your own knee and surrendering to him. Then, then it's, so in other words, authority is given, not taken. So it is upon us as elders to invite authority. The NCMI apostolic team will never take authority over us. 
We invite them. That's why we need to stay in a place of humility, knowing our need, that we don't have enough to lead the church. We need other input. And you may say, great, I'm glad these pastors in this church have that heart. You know what? So do you. Can I be so bold? We all need input because the heart is deceitfully wicked. Who can know it, Jeremiah says. We all need input because we all have blind spots. This is the beauty of the church. On our own, none of us will, will get there. But if we can find one another's roles and relate to each other properly, we can get there. But we've got to be humble and, and be willing to submit ourselves to Jesus and his pattern and design. So we're going to stop it there. Thank you for hearing what is deep in our heart in, as far as a safe, biblical, most important, biblical God's design for his children. If we can function according to roles, we can get there. At this point, I'd like to...